Welcome to Beyond the 9 to 5, a podcast about working mothers. I am your host, Amin Ibrahim. This episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeannie Yandel, the co-host of KOW's Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. Today, she talks about dealing with chronic sleep deprivation after her daughter was born and the experience of having to pump an electric closet at work. Thank you so much for, like, willing to sit down with me. Oh, um, of course. Well, I mean, to interview you, that has been really excited for that. Um, so, where do you currently work? Uh, I work here at KUOW Public Radio, which is the one of two NPR stations here in Seattle. And how long have you worked here? Ah, wow. I've been here for 16 years now. Yeah. I've had a bunch of different jobs, but I've been here for like 16 years. Yeah. Nice. So what do you do? So currently my job is, my title is special projects editor, which is a meaningless title. Um, so I, uh, I am the editor and project manager for one of KUOW's podcasts, a local podcast called Sound Cues, and I am the creator and co-host and kind of co-editor and co-producer. I'm doing everything like on this other podcast called Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. So tell me about your family. Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm married and um we have one child uh she is six and a half years old and um we you know i think we had initially um wanted to have two kids but um you know we kind of waited and had a kid a little bit later in life i was 38 when my daughter was born and um it was really really hard and by the time we kind of came out at the end of when things stopped being really 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 hard it felt um it felt like we didn't have the resources to have another child so um yeah so we have one daughter um and she's wonderful (laughs) her name is Stella yeah She's great. She's, I, I would, I would go down a wormhole of talking about how wonderful she is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's us. We're, we're, there's, it's just the three of us. Nice. And you made me asking, um, you talked about it being really, really hard in what aspect? Well, um, you know, Stella was one of those babies who didn't really sleep through the night until she was about three years old. So, um, there were, there, there was a long stretch of time where I just, there would be one night a week or maybe two or sometimes even three where I just wouldn't get sleep. I just wouldn't sleep. Um, and I never knew when that was going to be. And I just, it was just, I had to figure out how to live with it. I remember saying to somebody who I worked with at the time, who didn't have kids, you know, yeah, I just, you know, it's like this thing where I just, I know there's at least one night during the work week where I'm not going to get any sleep at all, but that, you know, I just have to deal with that. And he looked at me in utter horror. And that, and I, at that point I was like, oh, I guess that would suck. I guess that's a kind of torture. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, you know, but there were a lot of other things that were going on as well. My, um, 
my partner and I, so my partner got a new job that turned out to be very stressful and at the same time was developing what turned into um, a, a, a chronic injury. Um, they're now at the point where they haven't been able to really walk for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just starting. That injury was just starting. And so they were in a lot of pain, but tried to push through. You know, we had a young baby. They had a new job. Um, and so they just sort of pushed through it. Um I mean, oddly, we had, like, when Stella was approaching a year old, we were kind of hitting a really good, like, level point. Like, things felt like they were kind of leveling out and starting to get easier. And then my partner got a new job, and this injury started really bothering them. Um, So they were in constant pain. I got a promotion here, Mm -hmm. and that turned out to be um, an extraordinarily difficult thing. Um, When Stella was a year old... Uh, a little less than a year old, I had actually planned to see if I could work part-time for a while. Um, And instead I got a promotion and it was an extraordinarily stressful situation. Um, It was an extraordinarily stressful situation. I don't, I mean, I I don't want to like get too much into it, but it was probably the worst and hardest work experience of my life. And the only reason I kept my job at KUOW during that time Mm -hmm. was because I was the only one who had health insurance. So I stayed here. Um, It was really, really, really bad in a lot of ways. Um, And, uh, and I also at that time developed or had, and it was undiagnosed, I had an undiagnosed chronic illness. Mm -hmm. So I was in, I was very sick a lot of the time and I didn't know why. And I couldn't tell if it was from chronic sleep deprivation or what. Um, And I didn't really have the leeway to take care of myself. So that's what I mean when I say it was really hard. Yeah. Um, Every possible thing short of um, a terminal illness that could have happened and short of divorce (laughs) Mm -hmm. that could have happened in my family at that time happened. Um, and we don't have any support here. I don't, we don't have family here. Um, our friends couldn't help us. I mean, they all were struggling too. Um, they had young kids, you know, everybody's got their own stuff and asking for help is another level of work. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you have to tell people what kind of help you need, which means you have to think through what you need. And I didn't have the energy for that. Yeah. Yeah. In one of my interviews, I was talking about the idea of like we kind of live in a society in which we think of like raising children as a very like individualistic thing versus a community oriented thing. And so then we like shy away from asking help and how that's like hurtful and painful for like so many people in the community because like your children don't have the ability to be like raised by like other people and you don't as a parent don't have the ability to ask for help because that's not normalized yeah um and you make this thing that should be more of a communal thing a very individualistic thing yeah Um, i mean i will say that the daycare that we managed to get our child into and that was a whole other ball of kind of insane difficulty but the daycare we ended up in was a godsend Um, and the people, you know, I mean, we were paying college tuition essentially for five years, but in many ways they became our family, our community, Mm -hmm. um, and helped us understand 
what it meant to be parents of a young child. I mean, they were just a godsend. I don't know how we would have gotten through. Honestly, I don't know how we would have gotten through without them. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, you talked about coming to work many days, like sleep deprived, essentially. And how do you go through that? How did you essentially like work and be productive? Um, and I, where, what, did you get help or? I don't know. And no, I mean, no, there was no help. <laughs> there was no mm-hmm. help. Uh, I ended up leaning on my team. Um, I leaned on them way more than I wanted to. And that turned into a problem. Um, because there was an expectation that I was going to be present all the time, even off work hours, right? I had a boss who would email me at 11 o'clock at night at 2.30 in the morning and would expect immediate responses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this boss also expected that in addition to the work that we were doing, launching a new daily show, a new daily show, two hours a day, um, we were also expected to do special side projects and special reporting. And she said that I was failing because I couldn't get my team to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, my team, which was the most productive team in the newsroom. Um, and so, uh, you know, any goodwill I had burnt, I had, I had built over my career here, I burnt up during that time Yeah, because I was sick and I was exhausted and it was very difficult for me to do my job the way I was expected to do my job. So I ended up leaning on, I had an incredible, I mean, everybody else on that team was amazing and super competent. Um, but they ended up doing a lot of filling. They stepped in for me a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't know how I did it. I really don't. I mean, I don't know. I just, I had a friend who told me, soon after my daughter was born that after her son was born and she had the same boss uh who was toxic and thank god isn't here anymore um she said that uh after her son was born she basically realized what she needed to do was ask herself what she needed to get done in the next 20 minutes and just keep doing that until she was finally able to just go to bed so i did that for years um There were a couple of times when I was so tired, I couldn't focus enough Mm -hmm. to park my car in the garage. And I actually got like, got like hit other cars. Um, I mean, these are like there, I shouldn't have been on the road. I shouldn't have been driving, but I didn't have another option. So I have no idea how I got through it. I just did. In an ideal work setting, um, what would you have wanted to like make that? being a new mom, make that whole transition easier? Like, what would be your ideal work setting in that situation? Um, I would have wanted a work situation where I had a boss who did not have, um, who could have heard me when I told her that her requirements for me were ridiculous Mm -hmm. um, and were unachievable. Um, That didn't happen. Um, I would have liked a scenario where we weren't trying to launch something new where everybody's expectations were incredibly high um i think ideally what i would have wanted was a scenario where i had got where i was working four days a week which is what i had planned to do before i was offered this promotion um i call this point in time my lean-in catastrophe because i had the option of not taking the promotion Mm -hmm. 
But I, I distinctly remember saying, like, I want to be able to tell my daughter that I really leaned in at work and I want her to be proud of me. She was a year old. She doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't care now and she didn't care then. I had this, so another ideal work scenario would have been, I wish there hadn't have been this ridiculous narrative at the time that like really going hard at work is the only way to be a good mom with a job. Yeah. Because it's not true. It's not true. I had other options. I just didn't know that I had other options. Mm -hmm. And so I made, I made the choice that I thought was the right choice, but, um, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There was there was a there was a real. Um, I wish somebody had told me. I wish that I had known that it's okay, to not try and be like an A plus super achiever in every facet of your life when you have a baby, like it's okay, right? Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to. Um, you know, and maybe it's not okay. Maybe you really have to do that. To get to like prove that you're worthy after you have a child or something, but I didn't know. Yeah, and I think that like it's these unrealistic expectations that are set on women to like quote unquote have it all or do yeah. it all. Yeah. Um, oh, in another ideal work situation, I had to pump breast milk in the electrical closet down here, um, mm -hmm. and that was awful. And I really wish I didn't have to do that. I wish I had been given an actual lactation space. Yeah. I'm still mad about that. And that was five years ago. Five years later, is there any, where do breastfeeding moms pump? Uh, there is now a real lactation room um, that is nice and is quiet um, and has a hospital-grade pump there, so you don't have to bring your own pump with you. Um, but it only, I mean, I can't say only, but one of the reasons it happened was because another reporter who came back to work after having a child mm -hmm. pumped in that electrical closet um, and uh, posted photos of the space on Facebook. Um, and the responses caused her to realize that she, we, had been put in a really lousy situation. Yeah. So she did a report on it, uh, asking other moms to send in photos of where they had to pump at work. Mm -hmm. And it turns out moms all over Seattle have crappy places to pump. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they, like, forget that, like, working mothers are in their workplaces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now we have a beautiful lactation room. That's amazing. So I'm hearing a lot of, like, expectations um, and more so, like, expectations of perfection. Mm -hmm. um, and you talked a little bit about these, like, expectations of perfections at work, of feeling the need to just, like, do it all and be it all and be a thousand and ten percent. Did you also feel expectations of perfections at home as well? Yes. Yes, I did. In which ways? Um... Well, I mean, in, you know, in one immediate way, I felt in many, I felt a lot like um, I should be able to get my child to sleep, um, even though I knew she was an extraordinarily difficult baby in that way. Like, I had, I'd had people who were, like, child care and infant care professionals tell me as much, which was really validating, but I still felt like I should be able to get her asleep. Mm -hmm. Um I had a really hard time breastfeeding, um, and there is a ton of pressure to breastfeed, a ton of pressure to breastfeed, mm -hmm. um, and I didn't have any support there either, uh, and um, I, I, 
I never did learn. We never breastfed. I pumped milk for her for almost, I mean, I would have pumped longer, um, but I pumped milk for seven or eight months for her. Yeah. Um, and uh, I felt like a failure there. Um, my milk supply dried up from pumping in that electrical closet, and I felt like a failure then. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cry now. Um, so, um, you know, I, um, I was exhausted, and there were nights when um, my partner and I had nowhere else to take anything out on, so we took it out on each other. I felt like a failure then. Yeah, there really wasn't a single place in my life I didn't feel like a failure mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It seems like a very difficult experience. Um, and I think that there's many. Like, the reason I'm so interested in this podcast series is because I feel like people in my life are starting to become mothers. And I'm realizing the, like, ridiculous expectations that they feel. Yeah. Um, and this, like, idea of perfection that I'm seeing. Um, my siblings have to like go through to like show that Um, so thank you for sharing that I want to talk a little bit about what does a normal day look like for you well now a normal I mean a normal weekday is I get up um, you know like this morning I got up before Stella did um, and I started making coffee I started getting her breakfast ready Um, and then I you know um, and then I woke her up uh, many mornings she is waking me up, um, or we wake up at the same time. We get up, we have breakfast. Uh, sometimes we listen to a podcast together. Um, That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, you know, she reads a book to me, um, and we have breakfast. And then I take a quick shower and, um, I, you know, five time I make my partner breakfast, five time I make myself breakfast. Um, and then I take a quick shower, get dressed. She picks out her own clothes, gets dressed. And, you know, there's always, there's always something like Stella knows as well as I do what we need to do to get out of the house. Um, and, but there's always something where she's, she takes issue with something and so we have to spend time like arguing about the fact that I don't know it's raining but she doesn't want to wear a raincoat or I don't you know I don't know what it is she wants to wear flip-flops and it's 40 degrees outside um you know and um but we eventually you know and it's her job to make sure she's got her water bottle that she's got her lunch out of the fridge I make her lunch the night before and that her bag's all packed she's got everything she needs um and then we get out of the house uh, get to school. I usually try and get there 10 or 15 minutes early. So she's got time to burn some energy off on the playground. Um, and then, uh, and then I take her into school and I drop her off and then I drive to work and, um, she has a late start school. Um, her school starts at 8 50 AM. Yeah. So I, that means I usually get here to work by about nine 30. Um, and because my partner can't walk, um, I also have to do pickup. So I get here, I work, um, I try and get as much done as I can while I'm here. Uh, and this is a culture of lots of meetings and this is a culture of people just swinging by to talk to you about a thing. Uh, and that drives me nuts because I have 
I have a task list every single day that I need to get through. Yeah. Um, and I, it has never been more clear to me that there are people who that there are people here who just don't have deadlines <laughs> like than it is right now because I really only have about seven hours of my day at work mm-hmm. before I have to go get my daughter. Um, and I have to be physically present to do a lot of the work that I do. Right. Yeah. Um, answering emails, all that stuff. I can do that later. Um, but I have to be present for a lot of the audio work that I do. Um, and then I, you know, um, on a good day, I get a workout in before I pick Stella up. Um, and sometimes that workout is me running one mile outside of Stella's school before I walk in and pick her up because that's all the time I have. I have 12 minutes, mm-hmm. so I will run a mile and a half, and that's all I got. It's better than nothing. And then I, um, then I go get her, and uh, we get home if my partner's mobile enough. <laughs> They make dinner. If not, I make dinner. Um, We have dinner. Sometimes we watch a movie together. Sometimes we read. Sometimes we listen to more podcasts. Um, You know, we have, she helps me fold laundry. We have like sort of little chores that we do each night. Um, And then we start getting her ready for bed around 8 o'clock. She's in bed by, or in her room by 8.30. (laughs) It doesn't mean she goes to sleep. Um, You know. And then I, you know, if I can, if I can stay awake, I have my laptop with me and I do, I work for a couple more hours. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, I will, this is after I have made her lunch and cleaned up the kitchen and, you know, um, a lot of the time I put her in her room and I get in my bed and I listen to her doing the stuff that she's doing and I fall asleep in my clothes. Yeah. Because I'm too tired. Yeah. Wow. You such a beautifully busy day. Oh, what's your favorite podcast listening so far? Oh, wow. That's a good question. So um, there are a bunch of uh, podcasts for kids that I really like. Uh, right now we're listening to Brains On, which is a science podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, we, we kind of just started listening to it, and I really, really like that. There's also this um, podcast called Story Pirates. Um which is, it's like, they're like an improv, uh, troupe in New York and, um, kids from all over the place write stories and Mm. they turn the stories into songs or sketch comedy. And, um, yeah, I really like, I really like both of those podcasts. They're a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that like podcasts for kids existed. Oh my gosh. There are (laughs) so many podcasts for kids. So many podcasts for kids. Like we're just beginning to scrape the surface (laughs) yeah we discovered this other podcast about bigfoot which isn't for kids necessarily it's called wild thing but stella's fascinated with bigfoot so we've been listening to that too what is the funniest thing the child has done in the last week oh my god boy (laughs) that's hmm. i think she's hilarious so that's tough um so lately (laughs) lately um She's been really focused on identifying sarcasm. So whenever me or my partner is sarcastic, she'll yell, sarcasm! (laughs) Um, Which I think is really funny. Uh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Um, She's also, she, like, in the last week has really decided she loves Taylor Swift. 
So she's been kind of insisting on a Taylor Swift dance party every night after dinner. So she and I are, yeah, <laughs> are, are dancing a lot. Yeah, to Taylor Swift. I am here for that. That is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Favorite Taylor Swift song? <laughs> I'm, my favorite one? Let's see. So, um, oh, what is it called? Oh, Shake It Off is my favorite one. Okay. Yeah, her favorite one is Blank Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's her yep. favorite one. We listened to that song like five times last night. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew before becoming a working mom? Oh, um, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. What do I wish I knew? Well, <sighs> um, I'm thinking about that because it's, um, mm. I, w- I wish I'd known how to be kinder to myself and my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wish I'd known that, um, I didn't have to be great at everything. Yeah. Um, because that, um, I'm not trying to blame myself. Um, you know, I would have made some different decisions, but you know, I don't think the reason it was so hard was because just because I made bad decisions, but I held myself to a really high standard, um, that I never really met. Um, you know, but also like, I wish that I had known that, Um, that any of the sort of issues I saw with my boss and my workplace before I had my child were just going to get exponentially worse after Mm -hmm. they became exponentially harder. If I'm being crass and blunt with you, I will say that like the thing I had known, I wish I'd known is that nobody gives a shit how hard you're having it. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares because they all really think that you brought, you chose it. You brought it on yourself. Interesting. If I'm being really honest, yeah. that's what I wish I'd known. I spent a lot of time being shocked mm-hmm. by how I got treated. Yeah. And I wish I'd know, known beforehand that really nobody gives a shit. They will tell you they do when you're pregnant, mm-hmm. but they don't actually care. Yeah. That goes for the people who help you give birth because all they care about afterwards is that you're breastfeeding and they can't diagnose you with postpartum depression, but that's about as far as they care, right? Yeah. Um, certainly, I, I mean, I have this workplace as my experience, but for the most part, I had, like, friends who were moms who cared and, like, tried to support me. But those folks didn't sign my paychecks, right? Nobody else here gave a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the friends that I had who didn't have kids, they didn't give a shit either. What would you tell people if you could? Like, I don't know. It doesn't matter if you say it's really, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. 
it doesn't make any difference. I have no idea what I would say to those people. Yeah. The whole workplace, I feel like, just has to change to be more yeah. um, inclusive for a variety of different groups, but especially for, like, working mothers. And I just don't think we're just not, like, everyone I talk to, it's like, we're just not there. Yep. No, we're not. Um, we're not. So and know. honestly, I don't focus on the, I don't focus, like, I think, you know, okay, here's the one thing I would say. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I heard from people here uh, was that they wish they could get time off too, the way I got time off after I had my baby. I actually had somebody say that to me, like, I don't have kids. I don't get that kind of time off. Oh, wow. That you know, that wasn't the only part. I mean, I have, I can think of at least a half dozen people who said some version of that to me. Like, basically what I did was take a vacation for three months. Leaving aside the fact that I didn't get paid, that I was still expected to work. I mean... The thing I would say is, you know what? At some point, you're going to need that time off, too. Mm-hmm. It might not be because you have a baby. It'll be because you get sick or your parents get sick. Yeah. Or you have to take care of something because we're all human. And after that happens to you, please look me in the face and tell me that I got a vacation again. Yeah. Please do that. Thank you. I like compliments. Um, so at the end of every show... I like to leave listeners with, like, two pieces of advice. Uh, <laughs> and so I ask the guest, um, like, what is a piece of advice that they would give an employer? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what is something that they would give a future working mother? Oh, my goodness. So to start off, if you could tell your employer, mm-hmm. um, future employer, current employer, any employer, yeah. one thing that would make your life um, and job as a working mother easier, what would it be? Hmm. Boy, howdy. What would I tell my employer? I mean, (laughs) provide paid leave for God's sake. Mm -hmm. Um, Take getting on, you know, unpaid leave. Like we were able to save and plan but it put, you know, it put us in a, it put us in a hole. Um, there, we had a deficit. We were operating from a deficit. Um, so on top of everything else that you have to deal with, dealing with, an, with a, with that financial reality is really difficult. Um, Provide paid leave and make sure that you are messaging and modeling that you are not expected to be on the clock for fucking 24 hours a day. Excuse me for swearing, but, um, you know, the fact that, like, I can be reached, that I am constantly reachable is a problem, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if my boss doesn't recognize that by emailing me and texting me, and everybody else at off hours that you are modeling that it's acceptable to be on the clock 24 hours a day. Yeah. So that's, I mean, like, that's the thing that I would say to my employer is if you really believe that people get time off, respect that time off and don't model that things are different. Mm Mm-hmm. Because your employees will notice that and they will assume it is part of their job to be constantly available, which creates an incredible amount of stress. Yeah. 
And I see so many managers do this. I used to do it until I realized what a problem it was. That needs to stop. It's a real, like, it's a real issue. There are times when you're going to have to be on the clock outside of work hours. I work in the news industry, for God's sake. Like, I Mm -hmm. get it. But you've got to be, you've got to draw the line and you've got to hold that line if you are an employer or a manager. Yeah. Because everybody who works for you is looking at you to see what's appropriate. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I, the advice, oh man, the advice that I would give working moms. Oh, what is, I don't know. I don't know what the advice is. I guess there's never, I mean, in my experience, there was never a time in my life where it was harder to listen to my own body and my own instincts. But it was a really important time for me to be able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. My body was telling me that all kinds of things needed care and needed focus. um, And I had to ignore it. I felt like I had to ignore it. And kind of keep achieving and keep meeting expectations. Um, so I think I would probably tell working moms, whatever your gut, your instinct, your body is telling you, listen to it. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't attend to it at that very second, that is incredibly important information. Yeah. And you've and and more than anything else. That's the agenda you need to pay attention to. You're so focused on this other little body (laughs) and everybody else's expectations of you. Um, Listen to what your body has to say to you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Like, this has been an incredible, like, interview. Being able to hear you talk about your experience and to read it, like, very vulnerable. I really, really appreciate that. Welcome. <laughs> I still have lots of feelings about all of this, as you can see. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think talking about it is like a step in the right direction. Um, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Knock on wood. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Nine to Five. I hope the conversation and advice you heard today inspires you to change the workplace for all working mothers. Good luck, and until next time.